Chris Lee, Blake Lovell, and Max Barr of Southeastern 14 here to recap SEC basketball action from Tuesday night on a night in which it was chaos nationally. We've now gone from three teams heading into the week unbeaten uh, to one on Tuesday night. Now to no one beating teams nationally. The SEC held serve. We talked about these big spreads in some of these games and how the first weekend had provided us upsets in the SEC and we just didn't know. Well, chalk last night. All the favorites won. We'll get into that momentarily. But a reminder that this video is presented by our friends at Bet Online with NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing. Bet Online has you covered with all the up to the second odds, news, and scores with additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile. You can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in the action, see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, bet online, where the game starts. Well, the game started in Lexington on Tuesday night, where Missouri hung tough, was within striking distance in the second half. But I'll start with you, Max. Trey Mitchell, I think, went for 20 and 14. Rob Dillingham scored 23, which I think was a season high. This Kentucky team has just got so many parts, and we certainly saw that on display in Lexington on Tuesday. Yes, we did. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Trey Mitchell because he's my he's the first thing I have in my notes. Back-to-back double-doubles now. Um, he just the, the rock of that team. Cal has said it in back-to-back press conferences now how uh, the guys really look up to, to Trey Mitchell for his leadership and, and whatnot. 40 full minutes with Fierro out. that Can't get any more valuable than that. Um, both teams missed a lot of shots in this one. I'm not going to lie. Should have been even higher scoring. Um, Reeves 0-5 from three-point, and I'd say about three of those were, were pretty much wide open. Um, Cal said he was he was honestly surprised that some of the open looks didn't fall. Um, what did Kentucky have? I think it was 47 in the first half, and I thought it should have been more like 55 almost 60 with with how quick they got out of the gates um learning experience for rob dillingham even with the the high offensive output uh, four fouls cal said he could not be fouling like that um and he had some bad body language at times that um that cal said he actually sat down with rob after the game and and was just kind of talking to him uh you know learning experience and whatnot talking about how body language resonates to the rest of the team and whatnot so these guys are still learning. They're winning games and they're still learning. Uh, Missouri switching defense, uh, you know, takes away so much from from what other teams can run. But that kind of plays right into Kentucky's, uh, you know, kind of playground, no play, just one ball screen and let the guys go isolation. Uh, and that kind of just played right into Kentucky's favor. We talked about how it was a how it was a bad matchup. Um, as for Missouri, I'd like to see more of Tamar Bates. I thought Tamar Bates really looked mm-hmm. good. I would like I would like to see a little bit more volume from him. Um, he he's got a really nice isolation. He can really back down guys, and just similar to how Sean East likes to play in that mid range. And it's good to see Noah Carter uh, shooting well coming out of that. I think it was like that two for twenty something shooting slump back to back games here with multiple threes. So, I mean, hey, you didn't have Anthony uh, Robinson for for Missouri coming off the bench you had to dip into John Tanjay who we haven't seen in a while and you know a shorthanded Missouri team who was like you said Chris within striking distance 
I don't think it's a bad result for them. You know, they didn't get blown out of the water and quit. Um, but man, I think you just saw how dangerous this Kentucky team is, especially when they're not going against a team that's going to shut down a lot of their offense. Yeah, I mean, once again, it's Kentucky winning a game when multiple players don't have their best game, and that yep. just you know shows you how good they are. I mean, that's how talented they are. Anybody can step up at any time. You know, Shepard only has three. Edwards has four. Um, you know, neither of those guys probably would say they played their best game, but everybody else around them, you know, stepped up, made plays, and um, they still scored 90 points, right, with, the, you know, getting combined seven points from those two guys. So that just shows you the depth of this Kentucky team and just the, again, I think really one through seven, you know, they're just they're really hard to, to match up against and, and really hard to kind of slow down even when they're only making seven threes and shooting 30% from three, they still scored 90 points. Um, and I know Missouri defensively is not great, <clears throat> but, you know, still, I, I think it's just one of those things where it just kind of, that's clearing with Kentucky. It's how good they can be. And then talks about Bates. I mean, he's played, I think, six straight games, 25 or more minutes now. He scored double figures in five straight games. <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear that they, they understand they have to lean in on him uh, to this point. And, because that's what we said. I mean, Max and I were texting. It's like, what does Missouri do in a, in a situation where if Sean East ever gets just in significant foul trouble, like what do they do? You know, how do they, how do they keep games close? Because we just have not seen it consistently. Anybody else kind of just taking over that spot, even though we know guys are capable of it. We've seen Nick Honor do it in the past. We've seen Noah Carter, like in this game, score 20 points, but it really helps having that, that Tamar Bates, part of the equation like and i think that's that's at least something now where if you look at yeah. the the trajectory he's on if you can keep getting you know what you get out of the the starting five essentially and and really i think those those four guys in particular nick honor shawnee's Noah carter tamar bates th then i think you know you, you can build off of that and you can kind of you know have an opportunity to be competitive in these games which again this winds up being 13 I don't know, it's, it's pretty close, like, for a little bit there. And, you know, I think Kentucky wound up pushing it out towards the end. But, um, you know, it felt like Missouri just – they at least had an answer for a little bit. Like, they kept, you know, keeping the game within striking distance, but they just couldn't, you know, keep it there in the end, which is, you know, most teams are probably going to be able to be in that situation uh, at Rupp. So, yeah, I, I think, again, Kentucky comes out of this feeling pretty good. 2-0 and start now in SEC play. Um, Missouri, 0-2, certainly not where you want to be. You've lost 5-6, but maybe there's at least something you can build on for Missouri because I think they've got some winnable games coming up. But like we said, this is a tough part of the schedule where you got to host South Carolina, who we'll talk about in a minute, at Alabama, home against Florida, at A&M, at South Carolina. It's, it's just a tough stretch. I mean, there's not a lot of room for error in there. Um, but I tend to think Missouri's got a good chance of, you know, maybe getting a couple of these just based on the fact that they do seem to be figuring a few things out, even if you're going to look at on the score line and say, Oh, they lost by 13 in Kentucky. How can you really be that positive? So. Yeah. The Tamar Bates storyline was the one that stood out for me. Again, he transferred from Indiana. The thought was that this was a better fit for him offensively. First game of the season, he goes for 18 against Arkansas Pine Bluff and what was a mismatch. Then his next nine games, he gets in double figures once, and that was against Pitt in a game that Missouri won on November the 28th, and he only got 12 points at that. Last five games, 
working backwards from last night, 18 points at Kentucky, 15 against Georgia, 25 against Central Arkansas, 10 against Illinois, and 22 in a loss to Seton Hall, a Seton Hall team that's racked up some pretty good wins lately. Uh, so that's maybe the storyline to watch for Missouri in this season. I know that has not met expectations. Um, let's go to Tuscaloosa. That was a close game the first half. I felt like South Carolina got that to a low score. Well, it was 28-26, 30-28, something like that at half. I think Mark Sears had over half of Alabama's points, a guy who continues to, I think, be at the top of the player of the year discussion. Um, this is twice in a row where he's carried Alabama scoring attack. And this is a, a team that can score a lot of points. Uh, but really carried them the last two first halves if you want to go back to Saturday's Vanderbilt game. Blake, what did you take away from what ended up being a blowout of South Carolina? It's it's somewhat similar to the same things I've said about Alabama. I know they didn't score as many points, but you know if you just look at the score and you didn't watch the game, you're probably thinking, all right, Alabama just completely dominated this thing from start to finish. Nope. <laughs> you know, it's like you watch the game play out. The first half was just a grind. And, you know, Estrada makes the shot with like 30 seconds left in the first half. So Alabama takes a one-point lead in the halftime. They wind up winning by 27. This is the point that I keep making with Alabama is that it can just go as quickly as that where they come down and score points in bunches and all of a sudden you look up and you were just leading and now you're down 12. You know, and I just because South Carolina had 29 points at the half. Alabama comes out on a 10-0 run, which had extended from the first half. So it was a 15-0 run. Um, all of a sudden, they're up 43-29 with 14 minutes left in the game, and just like that, again, you're you're down 14. And then you keep going a little bit further, right? You keep looking down. It's like, oh my goodness! All of a sudden, Alabama's up by 20. Five minutes later, and it's just that's what they do. Like because offensively, they can do this, and specifically. I'm not even going to say the whole team in this game. That's what Mark Sears can do. Like, you know, right now it's pretty clear. SEC player of the year, I, I'm sorry, but, like, I don't think there's much of a debate right this second. It's either Jani Broom or Mark Sears, and it, you're taking one of your one of those guys at this point, just based on what I've seen to this point. Now, again, you can pick one of the Kentucky guys. Maybe the problem is there's so many good ones that it's, like, <laughs> kind of even each other out. But it's one of those two guys right now for me. Um, so – yeah, I mean, it's just, once again, Mark Sears doing what he does, you know, able to just kind of score the way he can, six of eight from three. Alabama winds up hitting 15 threes, and what do you know? Now, they still had some just head-scratching turnovers, which I think when they get in close games, that's one thing that does concern me a little bit because they've, they've had a few too many of those in recent games. But, hey, you only give up 47 points <laughs> for a team that always talked about the defensive issues and – you know, all those things, sure. Like, you'll take that. Um, but, yeah, this was – South Carolina, I thought, played well for a little bit. But, man, Alabama just turned it on, and South Carolina couldn't hit a shot. 5 of 25 from three. They turned it over too much. Um, and that was that. Best defensive game of the year for Alabama. Um, they held South Alabama, I think, to 46, but obviously no nowhere near the, the level of – South Carolina. Blake, you've been talking about the big four for South Carolina all year now, and they only got three of those. Yeah. Uh, and in a game on the road against an offense this good, you're going to need a full game from all four of those guys. And I hate to pick on a single guy, but 
when when your your wing shooter uh, and Studi, you know, doesn't give you a single point, it's gonna affect it's gonna affect the outcome. It just is when when you rely so heavily on four guys. Uh, Lamont Paris said that in the second half, when shots weren't falling, it really affected their defense. Um, he said the mental side for for his players just just went down the drain. Um, he could tell with body language, with reactions, with effort that the the lack of offense in the second half just completely bled right into the the defensive performance. Um, the Alabama pace played a big factor. I think tempo was was maybe the biggest storyline of this game. In the, in the first half, you have South Carolina slowing it way down, playing their half-court offense and getting some good shots and really taking Alabama out of their comfort zone. And then in the second half, uh, you actually saw Alabama – make South Carolina fatigued with their with their pace. Guys were tired. Uh, Lamont Paris said it and Nate Oates both said it in their they both mentioned the pace of the second half in their press conferences and how uh, it made South Carolina tired. They, they were not in their comfort zone. Uh, and that's another thing with that mental side when you when you when you stop missing or you stop making shots um, and you start getting all out of whack mentally, there goes your there goes your conditioning too. So I thought that second half just kind of was a perfect storm for Alabama to run away with it. Best game all season for Nick Pringle. Um, I thought he was great with his physicality. He won the the Alabama hard hat award and then immediately gives it to Diabate. Uh, and that just kind of shows the how together this team is and how proud they are to see everybody uh, do well. Moag, Moagi in a little bit of a injury slump right now. Uh, his right foot flared back up, had surgery on it in the summer. Um, Oates said that they're going to rest him for a little bit now. Um, so I think you're going to still see continued minutes from Mo Diabate. Grant Nelson in a little bit of a slump. There's going to come a time when they need him. Um, and Oates said he still has full confidence in, in Grant, and, and I would like to see him break out of this slump. But, man, a tale of two halves, and, and I really think that Alabama pace um, was just the difference. It really got South Carolina out of their comfort zone here. Yeah, Alabama moves to 2-0, and so at the top of a, a crowded SEC. And games coming up – well, I don't have the schedule in front of me, so let's just move on to – the game that we talked about the most and anticipated the most, that was Auburn and Texas A&M. Our man Blake laid it out pretty well for us. He's like, forget the fact that A&M didn't look good the other day. Forget the fact that that Auburn looked all-world in a win at Arkansas. A&M's kind of got their number. And this got to the final minutes, and it kind of played out exactly like we'd drawn it up. And then what happened? A&M again couldn't shoot. I think that's the second time in two games, two SEC games, that the Aggies just did not hit a field goal for about 10 minutes. Um, I brought up Wade Taylor the other day. Eight points last night just has not been efficient. He's now shooting 36% for the year. And then on the other hand, we have Auburn. Jalen Williams has had one of the more under-discussed good seasons in the league. They get balanced. KD Johnson was good off the bench last night. Um Auburn continues to be very impressive, and and I've got some concerns about A and M. Uh, Blake, where do you start with this game? Well, I mean, I think it's yeah, I think you can watch A and M play right now and have some serious concerns when they lose by home, lose at home by fifteen to LSU, and um, you know that kind of jump started things. But yeah, I mean, what what else do we say? They went three of nineteen from three, 
their best player is in a bit of a slump. Um, you know, in terms, like I said, efficiency wise, like you can look at some of the games and, and this was, you know, I think this was more on the extreme side of things. Uh, I just can't imagine you're going to have many games like this from Wake Taylor, even if the numbers have not been great overall. I just, I don't think you're going to get many games like this, but also I think you have to attribute some of that to Auburn. Um, because again, they have been that good. And I think this, again, we talk about score lines, maybe a little bit deceiving, uh, you know, winds up being 11, but Hey, it's another double digit win for, for Auburn. But it was kind of one of those games where you came down to kind of the final stretch there with two and a half minutes to go or whatever. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a two point game. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, like it felt like one of those things where a was just going to keep or bad, bad beat for the betters, Max far. Um, they were feeling really good about this thing with two and a half to go, but winds up getting to 11. Um, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm talking about, a, you want to talk about an interesting game. If, if you guys, if you just, if you just check out the, um, the box score. So the running score line on this game, there were one, two, three field goals combined between these two teams in the final nine minutes of this game. Remarkable stuff there. Um, but we we said, I, I thought if, if a was going to keep this close, this was the kind of game they needed it to be. Like, they needed it to be a little bit sloppy. And, you know, wind up getting, what was it, 45 free throws, I think, in this game. The two teams combined to go 8 of 41 from three, I believe, combined for 31 turnovers. Um, you know, but that's the thing too with AM. They turn over 19 times, they get the 19 offensive rebounds. I mean, we said it, they're gonna get offensive rebounds, but just was not enough. And like I said, whether it was pretty or not, Auburn chalks up another double digit win and they just keep on rolling. And our guy Jalen Williams, who we kind of heralded for a while there over the past couple of years, is one of the more underrated players in the league. Again, he's not underrated anymore. Um, yeah, he's he's part of the success there and um, we say it every time. It's the depth of the Auburn team. They just got a lot of guys that can come in and do a little bit of everything, uh, and that's what you you saw here. And boy, yeah, back to the drawing board for the Aggies. This one was probably as ugly as it can get, and I think that's a good thing for Auburn being able to win a game this way. Uh, you, now you've seen them be able to win multiple ways. It doesn't have to be. Why not? Every shot is falling down. They can lean on the defense, which I think is which is huge. And I, I said in our preview, I said this is a full forty minutes of defense. And I I, just, I think you keep seeing that now. There's there's no let up uh, with this defense. A um, and M switches everything. So uh, Bruce Pearl said it cuts out about seventy five percent of his playbook, which makes offense really tough to run against this team. Uh, but you turn over Henry Coleman seven times. That's his career high, by the way. I went through Henry Coleman's whole career. Career high seven turnovers. This season, he hasn't had more than two. So they they re- the, the front court and that can, that persistent over 40 minutes of Broom, of Cardwell, of Williams, of Baker Mazzara, of Cheney Johnson, there's no let up. And, and I really think that showed through in this game. Uh, I, I don't have the exact points off turnover numbers in front of me, but... I know that off those 19 offensive rebounds, Texas A&M did not grab a lot of second chance points. They didn't. They didn't. They weren't able to convert a lot. And Jalen Williams was asked, uh, you know, how did you guys manage to do that? And he said they specifically game planned for 
Coleman and Garcia to be extra physical with them. Give them an extra bump when they're when they're going up. You know, just as physical as possible to try to make them uncomfortable. And and you saw it it, it worked. The game plan worked perfectly. Um, and man, I mean, it's just a great thing to see when you go five of twenty two from three at home. You can still find a way to win the game. Uh, I mean, Blake, like you said, it was a two point game with with under three minutes left. I mean, this thing. I was like, oh gosh. Texas A&M is going to come in here and steal one. And just the the defense down the stretch was was phenomenal. One last thing is is Chris, you you talked about Wade Taylor's inefficiency. 0 of 8 from 3, but I don't think any 8 of those shots were were like solid open looks with his feet set, you know, offensive rebound kick out, he's wide open. I think everyone was a little bit rushed or he's flying around a screen off balance. Um and I think you got to attribute that to the to the Auburn defense, you know, and just how well they game planned. This this defense is for real, and that's why I think Auburn is for real. They can they can lean on that. You're going to see consistent defense out of this team. And man, it's just, I mean, they're number 16 in the country, and they're only going to be moving up now. Yeah, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, did Henry Coleman the third almost get a technical down the stretch last night? I mean, you mentioned him getting bumped, and he was frustrated. He's not not had a good couple games in a row. I mean, he was. He he was about as non-existent as I've ever seen him in that LSU game. Um, I, I thought going back to two games ago against LSU, they've got – I don't mean to, to bag on a player, but they got Hayden Hefner out there jacking up bad shots. Something just seems a little bit off with this team. Well, you don't have the, the, the low post ducking ability of Julius Marble anymore and his screening ability. And I think no one's really talking about that. That's a big deal for what this team was able to do last year. You're right though, Chris, it was a, there was, it was a four point game, uh, maybe six point game down the stretch. And, and Henry Coleman took it to the left block and, and goes up for a shot and, and got hit on the arm as he uh, thought and, and just ripped into the referee, like runs right to him. And I thought the referee did a good job not calling a technical. I mean, that game was as hostile as it gets. Um, but that was just kind of the story of the whole game. Um, just the physicality. Uh, it doesn't get much more physical than playing a Texas A&M team. And Auburn has now proven that they can they can deal with that. They have the size. They have the physicality. I think I said two two videos ago, this, this Auburn team doesn't have a hole in it. And, geez, they just look rock solid to me. You know, you mentioned vacancy in the post. They also didn't have Solomon Washington. Yep, he's another. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure what what what's. I'm trying to look up the news. I I feel like I I heard talk of him in passing the other night, but I didn't file it away mentally when I was watching their game against LSU. What what is the situation with him? He's got an injury. Uh, he okay. he took a hard fall uh, a few games ago, and he, he hasn't right. hasn't really practiced since. Yeah, I, I think that's one of those things. Like you lose one of those two guys, there's probably enough depth and pieces there to where they're okay. You lose both of because Marble was really more of a supporting piece last year. He wasn't a a go to right. guy. That didn't mean he didn't have value, but he wasn't like when you said, "Hey, when you're playing a And M, who do we really worry about on the game plan?" He would have been, you know, I, I think third or fourth down the list right. at best, probably. Um, but but you lose two of those guys and. Um, and, and, and here we are with this team, which I up. thought again would, would be, would be better than it was, but here, here we are. I, Auburn, hey, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about LSU's deficiencies. This Auburn team guys, um, 
boy, you, you talk about balance and just not a lot of holes and, and a lot of depth and intensity and, you know, playing in a building where you've got a very real home court advantage. Like this looks like a team to me that's on a march towards maybe a top three seed line when we get to March. Yeah. I, mean, I don't really have anything to add. I feel like we've, we, we've definitely said that. I mean, they're, yeah. I mean, without repeating myself on, on some of the other stuff I've already said, yeah, they're, they've won every game this year by double digits. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty clear. Like, you know, they've got two losses every other game. They won by double digits. And in most cases, like, you know, just more than just 10, right? Like it's been pretty dominant. So don't have any weaknesses that I can see great defensively, great offensively. Yeah. I think it's pretty simple. All right, let's move to Baton Rouge. LSU now 2-0. I don't think a lot of us had that on our bingo card a week ago. Uh, but the Tigers, we build this as the Jordan Wright revenge game. He was fine. I think he got 15 last night. Vanderbilt did what it does. They they fall behind double digits. They, they make a run. They get within double digits with two or three minutes left. Uh, Vanderbilt didn't seem to play with a sense of urgency at the end of the game. Um. The story of Jalen Cook just would get in the lane, hit floaters, ends up with 28 points. Uh, Max, we had talked about him in the game he had Saturday and and how this is a team member. Well, she didn't have Jalen Cook earlier in the season. Do I think this is one of the top seven or eight teams in the league in terms of talent? No. Do I think this team's gotten a lot better since that loss to who was Nickel State back in Nichols. November? Is it's gotten its guys back? Yeah, I, I do. And the addition of Cook and and Wright, um, you know, they got some of the guys. Derek Fountain can can give them enough. Uh, we've talked about Baker and what he's given them. This is a team. I I don't think that it's got the pieces of the top level teams, but after banking the win at A and M and following it up um, in a game against Vandy, it was losable based on the way Vandy played. I think we we all have to feel a lot better about LSU. I don't. This might even be a team that, that could make a run to the NIT. Well, th- I mean, watching this game, it was not what I expected, but they still found a way to win ugly. Um, for an LSU team that just out-rebounded Texas A&M to get now out-rebounded by Vanderbilt at home, I was like, man, that just does not make any sense. But you have to know, you know, Vanderbilt probably saw what they did against Texas A&M and came in with a, a large emphasis on rebounding. And you got to give it to Stackhouse. He, he game plans very well, but 15 turnovers on the road is, is going to cost you when you're only shooting 26% from three. Um, LSU, I mean, 18% from three. They went three of 16, and, and, they, and they still found a way to win. How'd they find a way to win? Jalen Cook and Jordan Wright, downhill, being aggressive, getting to the free throw line. Uh, they found a way to, to – I mean, this – this Vanderbilt team, what was it? It was three points to Alabama, two points to Memphis. LSU just hung on and, and didn't let them muck it up and do what Vanderbilt has done the past few games. So you got to credit LSU with that. I thought Mike Williams, the freshman, had his best game yet uh, with eight rebounds from from you know being only 6'3", 180. Uh, I thought he was great. And the thing that we're not really talking about here with LSU is they've got great size. I mean – you you start Fountain and Will Baker, 6'10 and 7 foot, and then you bring in Hunter Dean and Jalen Reed, both 6'10, 6'10. 
that's a lot of size and, and depth of size. So I don't I have not been given this LSU team enough credit, even with how, how high I've been on them. Um, Vanderbilt's a tough team to, to keep away and in the, the entire 40 minutes, cause they'll do, they'll switch up the defenses and force turnovers and make things uncomfortable. And you beat X, Texas A&M handily. And now you beat Vanderbilt handily and you go to Auburn on Saturday and if you asked me a few weeks ago, hey, is this you know LSU-Auburn game in week two going to be anything? I would have been like, eh, probably not. Well, it's something now. we got two 2-0 teams coming, coming head-to-head here on Saturday, Blake. Yeah, the Battle of the Tigers. Yeah. Um, this will be quite a ferocious clash between these two. Um, the claws will come out in this one is what I predict. <laughs> I got a lot more puns, but we'll, we'll stick with the LSU-Vanderbilt game. Yeah, I mean, I thought the biggest thing was, you know, the turnover issues that we talked about with LSU all year and how that's now alleviated by having someone like Jalen Cook and they only turned over eight times here, which I know Vanderbilt's defensively, you know, has not been the best at times. But um, still, I mean, again, it's the Jalen Cook effect. I feel like we, you said, we, we didn't have a great predictions day on the opening slate, but like the way this started, like we, we've, brought up a lot of these points and how certain things, you know, a Jalen cook impacting an LSU, some of these other games we talked about. And yeah, I feel like it's, as you get more games under your belt of seeing sec versus sec, like you really start to understand, okay, a Jalen cook is going to make a dramatic difference for an LSU. Um, you know, like we said, Jordan Wright's played a lot of games in the sec. He's had success and he just continues to be someone that they're going to lean on, you know, hard to take off the floor in most sec games. And so, yeah, but it's just the, the additions like Max said of, of a Mike Williams and, and other guys that are just giving you a little bit of something. Um, that's significant because I mean, LSU, again, it's a team that just felt like if you take Jalen cook out of the equation, you're just going to get, you don't know what you're going to get. Like you right. just feel like you're going to get a team that really is going to struggle to be competitive with especially some of these upper tier teams, but now again they've beaten out, uh, Texas A&M on the road by 15. They hold off a uh, you know stingy Vanderbilt team that is, is still like we said. I mean it's they're struggling, um, but at least had you know put themselves in a position down the stretch here. Even though I you know again scoreline maybe uh, is what it is, but so yeah, I mean I I think the biggest thing coming out of this is you know LSU two and zero in the league, and I mean that's probably not something we would expected given the the AM game on the schedule. They've won four in a row. And if you think about it, how well they played in the second half of that Texas game, really since mid-December, you know, they've they've started to turn some things on. And once again, I don't I'm not discounting what everybody else does on that team, but just look at the numbers for Jalen Cook during that stretch, and you can see exactly why you know LSU's stock is trending up here. All right, gentlemen, I got I got one final thing for you. It's a little bit of a curveball. And we we cover the SEC, that's what we watch. But I know we also scoreboard watch and watch other teams. Uh big storyline nationally, and this of course will affect the SEC come tournament time. Houston, the lone remaining unbeaten, fell to an Iowa State team that really hadn't done a lot, but I was starting to wonder, is this just a team that the computers love and there's not gonna be much there? Uh, no disrespect to TJ Otzelberger, who's done a great job, but there wasn't much meat on the bone in terms of resume. You also had Purdue uh, losing a lot, rather lopsided game at Nebraska, which I think is 12 and three. Um, we we'll looked at a couple of weeks ago. 
Arizona blew out or got blown out by Stanford. This is just a look that the, the computers had thought that Arizona, Purdue, and Houston are I'm not gonna say four and away, but about four or five points better than the field um, of the rest of the three hundred and something Division One teams. Um, well, better than the next group is a better way to say it. Um, it. It's crazy to me that you see a little bit of a separation at the top, but even those teams are vulnerable. Blake, I think this is going to be a fascinating march. Have you did you take anything away from from games you saw elsewhere last night, or or maybe didn't see but scoreboard watched? No, I didn't know there were games played outside the SEC. That's his answer. That's your answer. That's his answer. Uh, I mean, look, it's the computers, computers, like whatever these computers think. I, you know, they are what they are. Watch the games. Here, here's what I think is interesting. I think a lot, we're still in football mode. So it's like when a team loses a game, we know how, you know, just important that is in football because you play fewer games. But I feel like now it's like anytime a team loses a game, it is overreaction city in basketball when you have to remember that this is a 30 something game sample size, as I say every year. Um, so no, I didn't take a lot away from that. Um, do I think Houston is, you know, in trouble? No, I still think they're really good. They just happen to lose a game on the road in college basketball, which tends to happen sometimes. Um, Purdue lost a game on the road in college basketball. They didn't look as good, but we've seen great teams before go on the road and get blown out, um, in conference play. It's just, it comes with the territory. I, I never like to just overreact in those kind of scenarios. So I'm not saying that everybody out there is doing that, but I just think it's always important to remember that throughout the course of a 35 game season, great future national championship teams are going to have performances that just make you wonder if they've played basketball before and it just comes with the territory. So yeah, if you watch that Nebraska-Purdue game, I had three screens going on. I had my eyes going every which direction trying to catch every game. That Nebraska crowd was unreal. They were rocking. And when you have a good shooting night and the crowd's rocking and, you know, the ball just kind of falls your way. I'm with, I'm with Blake. I don't. I don't like to overreact too much to to road losses. You know, now if it's at home, that's you know that's another thing because you have the crowd behind you and you're in your comfort zone, so you you can pull a little bit more away from that. Um, but I mean, I, no, I mean with the, with the with the transfer portal, you're seeing how deep these leagues are getting and and how some teams that were were you know minus thirteen, minus fourteen spreads a few years ago are now minus seven, minus eight. And and that makes a big difference. And so I just think the the, the playing field is evening out a little bit and we're, we're starting to see that. Boys, if you want proof for an SEC channel, I, I brought up teams outside this league. If you wonder why I keep looking away, my dog is losing his ever living mind. <laughs> You're gonna talk about teams outside the SEC. So yeah, he's I, like, I what are you doing? What, what, right, what are you thinking here? I mean Come on. If we're going to talk about teams outside the SEC, let's bring up all the teams that are losing games. Like, let's just let's just go <laughs> down the list and talk about how bad those teams are. And that's where we get a nice boost. And Oreos, he agrees. Like, I just heard him. He said he agrees. So he's yeah. not happy. He's not happy. Like, I'll, I'll let you get that podcast together. How about that? What are you Oreo, talking about? Oreos like Henry Coleman right now after the non call. He is. Oh, he is. Boy. He's very disgruntled. All right. 
That's what happens when you let the podcast run way too long. That's right. Enough of the grumbling. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday, recapping Wednesday night's games, which we previewed all those. (laughs) Fort Blake Lovell, Max Barr, and even Oreo. I'm Chris Lee of Southeastern 14, presented by Bet Online.